Welcome to the STSA Church Podcast. Each week, we discuss relevant, thought-provoking topics that challenge us to understand our faith more personally and engage in it more practically. We aim to communicate the depth and riches of our ancient faith in simple and understandable ways that are relatable to the modern world. Welcome to the well here at STSA, where we are in the middle of a series called Stories Jesus Told, the Kingdom Parables. We're talking about the Kingdom of Heaven as told by stories, as, as Jesus told us about in stories. And speaking of heaven, once upon a time, a priest, a missionary, and a lawyer. A priest, a missionary, and a lawyer died on the same day and went up to heaven on the same day. And as soon as they got up to heaven, Okay, they got through the check-in or you know, got their information or their name tags or whatever it may be. And then the angel said, let me show you to your rooms here in heaven. So the three of them follow the angel. First, they stop off at the priest's house. And the priest has a nice little, like a one bedroom, whatever it may be. Okay, nothing really to write home about, but he's a priest and it's, it's fine. It's a little thing. Okay, that's fine. And then the angel takes them to the missionary's house. And the missionary, like the, the priest had a one bedroom, the missionary's was even smaller. It was like a little efficiency thing, like one of these little Georgetown or, George, or Foggy Bottom kind of area things. Okay, and there was barely room for the angel's wings to fit inside there when he was showing him the tour. And now the lawyer is starting to get a little worried. Like if the priest and the missionary have such small homes and they like dedicated their lives to God, like what's going to happen when it gets to my house? So the angel keeps walking and then they get to this big, huge mansion. And the angel says to the lawyer, that one's for you. And he said, really? And this thing was huge, like swimming pool in the front, hot tub in the back, like looking over the, the heavenly golf, uh, the, 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 the field, whatever it was. Like it was beautiful. And the, and the lawyer was like, you know, how did I get such a big place when the priest and the missionary had such small, meager accommodations? And the angel answered, said, simple. See, up here in heaven, we got lots of priests and missionaries, but you're the first lawyer that's ever made it in here. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Welcome, as I said, to the, story, to the series, stories, stories Jesus told, not stories that I tell, stories Jesus told. I got to give a little love for all the lawyers, because lawyers get a little hard time, so that's just a little love for the lawyers, okay? <laughs> We're talking about the kingdom of God as Jesus talked about in parables. And the reason why we're talking about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, the reason why we're talking about it is because Jesus said in the very, very clearly in the gospels, he said, the kingdom is within you. The kingdom is in your midst. He said the kingdom of hand, when he came preaching, him and John the Baptist said the same thing. The kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is at hand. The kingdom was within you. The kingdom is in your midst. So what that teaches us is that the kingdom of God is not something that we have to wait till we die to experience. We wait till we die to get the fullness of the kingdom, but we should absolutely be tasting that kingdom life here on this earth. What we're doing in this series each week, one parable to teach us one lesson about the kingdom of God. Just one lesson, every week a parable, and we're going to ask the question, where's the kingdom? So far, we've looked at three very well-known parables. The parable of the prodigal son, parable of the good Samaritan, the parable of the mustard seed, things we've probably heard since we were kids. But today, we're going to look at a parable that probably, you probably have read it at some point, but I guarantee you, it's not something that you, that, that it, no one will say this is their favorite parable. 
because it's a very lesser known parable. And it's basically about a man and a tree and the tree that wasn't very obedient to what the man wanted from it. We're going to pick it up here in Luke chapter 13, verse 6 through 9. It says, he also spoke this parable, he being Jesus, obviously. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, sir, let it alone this year also, and I will dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well, but if not, after that, you can cut it down. Not the most like prodigal son is like moving the repentance and the guy comes back and he hugs him or the good Samaritan about like, how could that? This is just about a man with a tree that doesn't seem like this seems like my, the story of my backyard is what this seems like right here. It's a man who planted a tree and the tree didn't do much. And then he says, cut it down. He says, okay, well, you know, maybe not now. Maybe I'll come back in a year. Save it till, till next spring. This parable is a mix of two very common recurring themes to the Jewish people. Again, we're understanding the context as the original hearers understood it. So there are two themes that were very common to the Israelites, especially coming through the Old Testament, that Jesus touches here in this parable. The first is that of a man and his vineyard. If you are the Jewish people living in the first century, reading all the Old Testament, you've read all the Old Testament, you know it inside and out, and you hear about a man and his vineyard, what automatically comes to your mind? Who is the man and who is the vineyard? Who is the vineyard of, the man is obviously God, and who is the vineyard of God? The people of Israel. That's a very common Old Testament imagery. I'll show you right here, Isaiah chapter 5, verse 1 through 7. It says, now let me sing to my, well be let me sing to my well-beloved, a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up, cleared out its stones, and planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in its midst and also made a wine press in it. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge please between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done to my vineyard that I have not done to it? Why then, have, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? And now please tell me, let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it shall be burned, and break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned or dug, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain on it. For the vineyard, here explains it, for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasant the imagery was very well known to the Israelite people, that God was the owner of the vineyard and he planted a vineyard which was his people and he did everything that he could for it to bear fruit. He, he, he planted it, he watered it, he fertilized it, he took care of it, he did everything that he could. And that's why he even said right there, what more could I do? Like you tell me, what more could I do for my vineyard? But in the end, the nation of Israel, the people of God, the chosen people that God took them out of slavery, in the end, they bore no fruit. In the end, they rejected their maker. And that's why what it says right here is, they're going to be destroyed. They're not going to, my blessing is going to be removed from this house and from this vineyard because they rejected the work that I was trying to do in them. So right off the bat, this is a rough start to the parable. But that's the first imagery. 
The second imagery, which would have been very well known to the people who were hearing this parable, was that of a barren fig tree, specifically barren. In the Old Testament, barrenness was very common. And there were many times that the people, again, the, the, the vineyard is like the people, there were people were barren, and then all of a sudden they prayed, they cried to God, and their barrenness was solved. Can anyone think of any examples? Okay, so there's Hannah, who's the mother of Samuel, the great Samuel the priest. His mother was barren, and she was sad, and she felt like there was no hope. She prayed to God. He solved her barrenness. John the Baptist, that's another one. Okay, Zacharias and Elizabeth, Elizabeth same story, okay? Also, go very back to the beginning. The nation of Israel started, who's the patriarch of Israel? Abraham. Abraham and Sarah, they were barren. So the first thing that they heard is the cursed, I'm sorry, is the vineyard that bore no fruit. So they're like, oh, this is going to be bad. But then all of a sudden they hear barren. So they say, okay, I know how this parable is going to go. That the vineyard was barren. And then here comes God to bless it and solve the barrenness. He's going to bring forth fruit from it. That's exactly what's going to happen. And he's going to turn this barren, fruitless tree into some super fig tree, okay, that shoots off figs left and right. And that's going to be symbolic of us, the people of Israel, who are barren because we're in captivity and we're slaves and we don't have our land and we can't worship the way we want to and all these limitations. And we are barren right now. But here comes the Messiah who's going to come and bring forth fruit. And that's going to be symbolic of the victory that he's coming to give us. And he'll turn our mourning to dancing, our weeping to laughter, and our barrenness to fruitfulness. That's how they expected the parable to go. But as we've seen with every week, every parable Jesus gave was a curveball. Every parable he gave was coming in a certain direction that it makes a hard right turn at some point in time. And this one as well. The curveball in this parable is what Jesus did not say. Jesus did not say that this barren fig tree would bring forth fruit. In fact, let's go back to what he said right here. After he said this tree that was, that was barren and three years had been looking for fruit. He says, sir, let it alone this year. This is just the man who's running the, the, running the place. He says, let it alone this year until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well, but if not, after that, you can cut it down. The parable ends with no indication that there's any fruit coming. That it basically, at best here, it's a 50-50 shot that maybe it'll bear fruit, but maybe it won't. And I have a question for you. The man's strategy to bring forth fruit from this dead tree is what? Fertilize it. I don't know much about, about agriculture. But if you've got a dead tree and you put fertilizer on it, is it going to bring it back to life? You know, some translations, if you have different translations of the Bible, this word fertilize is a great word. Other translations say put manure on it. Put manure on it. And if you go back old school King James, KJV, like the old school one, it says literally, until I dung it. That's dung, D-U-N-G, which I did not know can be a verb, but you can use the word dung as a verb. The Bible does, and I guarantee by the end of this year, I'll use it in a sermon at some point because that's a fun word to use, okay? <laughs> now look here. Again, I ain't, I ain't an agriculture expert, but can manure bring back from dead, a dead tree back to life? Like that needs to be some magic poop that's going in that, on that tree if it's going to take a dead tree and make it alive. Like it can make a weak, strong, it can make slight improvement, 
Fertilizer can take something that's alive and help it to grow faster. But I don't think that it can raise the dead. This parable begins with a dead tree and it ends with a dead tree plus some manure. And probably some flies and some stinky things to go along with the, that manure. And remember we said, the vineyard is a symbol of who? The people of God. No wonder it's not the most popular parable. <laughs> Where's the kingdom of God in this lovely, uplifting parable about a man and his barren tree and his manure that he put on top of it? Well, two things. In this parable, we're going to see where the kingdom, first of all, is not, and then where the kingdom is. So the first thing we're going to see, the kingdom of God is not in our best efforts. Our best efforts are manure. The kingdom of God is not in our best efforts. Our best efforts, they are manure. God wants his children to be fruitful. God wants his children to bear fruit. Now, when I say that expression, the word wants, I want to put that in air quotes right here. God wants that from his children. The word wants can be used in different ways. I don't mean God wants us to be fruitful in the way like a boss says, like, I want to see you in my office. Or a principal says, I want to see you do better on this next test. Not that kind of wants. Wants in a loving father, a loving parent. A, a parent wants us to be healthy. A parent wants us to be happy. A parent wants to see us smile. Everything that Christ came in his ministry, you could look at it and summarize it in some ways in this word fruitful, because that's what Christ came to do. He said, I didn't come to take away your life. I came to give you life and give it more abundant. I came to be the bread of life because you're hungry and the food you're eating isn't really working. So I want to give you food that you eat that you never hunger. I want to give you water. Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give in him will be a fountain of living water that will spring up into everlasting life. Like everything Christ came for was to give us fruitfulness. And going back to that passage from Isaiah, the vine dresser in the Old Testament, which is representing God, is saying, I did everything that I could to allow you to bear fruit. I gave you, I poured into you, I built around you. I did, I did, I did. But at some point, the tree, the garden of God rejected the work that he was doing. At some point, the plant refused to bear fruit. It refused to accept the work that God was doing in it. It turned its back on him. That was the Jewish people at the time who rejected the prophets, rejected, rejected, rejected. And they were in the process of rejecting the son of God himself. And we know that shortly, just weeks after this, they would crucify him on a cross. So at some point in time, I know this sounds harsh to say, stick with me till the end. I know this sounds harsh to say, but at some point, the owner says, cut it down. Why is he using the land? Like enough, it's dead and it won't bring, at some point, cut it down. And you say, that's kind of rough, but I'll show you. Jesus actually said the same thing in multiple places. John chapter 15, which is a passage where Jesus talks about the vine. He says, I'm the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Simple. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it will be more fruitful. Says the same thing in a different way in Matthew chapter 5. Talks about salt. He says, you're the salt of the earth. Okay, that's great. But what happens if the salt loses its flavor? How shall it be seasoned? Then it's good for nothing. It'll be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. At some point, 
at some point it's dead no hope futile you could put fertilizer on it but i don't think that fertilizer is going to do much when it's already dead so he says cut it off throw it out and get it out of my garden and that's where we're at here in this parable as the owner comes and says this this tree is dead cut it off now the man comes and says hold on hold on hold on hold on give me another chance give me another chance give it one more year one more year and in that year what am I going to do? I'm going to put fertilizer on it. I'm going to put manure on it. I'm going to dung this bad boy. You say, okay. You put all the manure in you want. It's not going to have any impact. Because manure is symbolic here of our best efforts. Let me tell you the story of my life and probably the story of your life as well. The story of my life and the story of your life goes like this, is that we want to be good. That's why we go to church on Sunday. Everyone wants to be good. Everyone wants to live a life of holiness. Everyone wants to be pure. Everyone wants to control their temper. Everyone wants to be loving. Everyone wants, everyone wants, everyone wants. But then I fail. And then you fail. And we all fail. And what happens when we fail? What happens when we try our best and we find ourselves, you know what? We're not bearing fruit. We're empty. We're barren. We're dry spiritually. We can't control our tongue. We can't control our eyes. We can't control our thoughts. We can't control our temper. We can't. What do we usually do? We try harder. We try harder. Say, you know what? That didn't work, but this time will be different. I can solve it. And this time I promise. Cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. This time there's not going to be a mistake again. I promise, I promise, I promise. And what happens? We fail again. So what do we do? We try harder. And then we fail again. And what do we do? We try harder. And every time we try harder, we just take another scoop of manure and throw it right on top of that dead tree. Another scoop of manure on top of that dead tree. Because in the end, sorry to say, manure can't solve a dead tree. Manure can't bring back to life in the same way our own efforts can't either. Let me give you a nice quote right here from one of our church fathers. His name is Gregory of Nazianzus. Nazianzus is a very cool city title. Okay, don't know where it is, but it sounds like a fun place to visit. Okay. He says about this parable, he says, you perhaps as a good and pitiful husbandman, husband means the guy taking care of the garden, pitiful husbandman will entreat the master still to spare the fig tree and not yet cut it down, though accused of unfruitfulness. This is us. Give me another chance. Give me another chance. I got it this time. But he says, but to allow you to, but he's saying you asked for, to give you another chance, but to allow you to put dung about it in the shape of tears, sighs, invocations, sleepings on the ground, Vigils, mortifications of soul and body, and correction by confession and a life of humiliation. He's saying all those things, all those efforts, you pray more, you say, I'm going to pray and I'm going to solve it, or I'm going to sleep on the ground, or I'm going to cry, or I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to. He says all that stuff with all due respect. I'm not saying that stuff is bad. That stuff is good. But that stuff can't give life. That stuff in the end is manure. It's a waste of time. You say to yourself, Where's the kingdom of God then? I just basically said there's no hope for us to do anything that we do. Where's the kingdom of God right here? Stick with me. First thing is that the kingdom of God is not in our best efforts. It's not in our best efforts. I'm not saying we don't put in effort. Stick with me till the end. But what I'm saying is those efforts by themselves cannot bring back the dead to life. So what can? This parable of the, of the barren fig tree is Luke chapter, six, verse, Luke chapter 13, verse 6 through 9. 
I want to go back and see the beginning of Luke chapter 13, the introduction to the parable, because as we learned a couple weeks ago, every parable is given in response to a question or to a discussion. It's something's being discussed. Jesus gives a parable to answer it. So let's go back and see what is being discussed. Jesus is being asked a question by his disciples, and he tells them about two historical events that took place. And both of those events, they're two separate events, but they both have one common theme that leads us to an answer about our parable. Luke chapter 13, verse 1 and 2. There were present at that season some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? So just understand what's happening right here. The people around, and they're talking about something that happened not too long ago in the near past, okay, for, for them at the time. There were some Galileans who were worshiping in the temple, offering their sacrifice, and then the bad guys came in, all right, and they slayed them. They sacrificed them, and they cut their heads off so that their blood was mingled with the sacrifice that they were offering. So they were just basically innocent victims, wrong place at the wrong time, and they were killed and they were slain. So Jesus is saying, do you suppose that those people who were killed were worse sinners than other people who weren't killed? Like, do you think that this was, in other words, God's vindication, like God's punishment? Like they must have done something wrong because that was a common belief at the time. They were evil. They were bad. So therefore God was punishing them. Whereas the people who came the day before or the day after must have been righteous because nothing bad happened to them. You see where you see, understand the story, the context. And Jesus response is, I tell you, no, that's not the case. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So they're thinking to themselves, these people must have been bad because they were killed. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. If you don't repent, then you're going to perish likewise as well. That's a funny story. Okay, next verse. Or how about those 18, Jesus is still speaking, on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them? Do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? So now again, he's telling another story about at some point in time, apparently there was this big tall tower and then it fell and 18 people got crushed underneath it. I don't know how they didn't see it coming, but anyway, okay, this big tower fell and it hit these 18 people, whereas those 18 people were spared. So the same thing. These 18 people must have been really evil. They must have been really good. That's why they were spared and that's why they were killed. And Jesus says the same thing, exact same verse, verbatim. I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Same thing, two separate stories and the same response. Unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Say it with me. Say, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. So where is the kingdom of God? First point, kingdom of God is in repenting. The kingdom of God is in repenting. The kingdom of God begins not with the efforts. We're going to come back to the efforts. The kingdom of God begins in repenting. Efforts, fertilizer, good for a living tree. But efforts cannot bring dead to life. Only repentance gives life to the dead. The people here, Jesus' listeners, were thinking to themselves, those people were bad because they were killed. They must have been bad. They're not good like us. Because I went to the temple many times, and God never judged me, never killed me, so I'm good. They were bad. They should have repented. Jesus says, no, no, no. You need to repent. 
And they're like, no, 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 we're good. We're not like those people who the tower fell on. See how God's wrath? And Jesus is like, no, no, no. Just because you're standing there. Just because the tower didn't fall on you. Unless you repent, you will likewise perish. And I'm telling you, all of us today, we're good people in this room. There are very good people in this room. We pray, we fast, we give, we help old ladies across the street. Like we do all the right things and that stuff is great and that's fantastic. But in the end, if there's no repentance, all that stuff is manure. All that stuff is manure if there's no repentance. And when I say repentance, what do I mean by repentance? Repentance doesn't mean that just like, sorry. Repentance doesn't mean like, yeah, I made a mistake, my bad. Repentance, the true meaning of repentance means a 180. It means a U-turn. It means somebody walking a certain direction and then they realize, I can't, I need this. I need help. I can't do this on my own. I got nothing without you, God. That kind of repentance. That's why my question to you, because the thing said, you said it from your mouth. Unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Unless you repent, you will likewise perish. My question to you, when was the last time you repented? When was the last time you repented really? I'm not saying when was the last time you went to confession. I'm not saying when was the last time you said sorry. I'm not saying when was the last time that you got caught in a sin and said, I shouldn't do that again. I'm saying when was the last time that you repented, dot, 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 really repented. You remember when you really repented. Some of us have to go back. You remember it. At a certain point in time, you fell on your knees. You said, I'm done trying. You said, I can't do this anymore. God, I'm all yours. At a certain point in time, you remember that. Okay, maybe in black and white, okay, in some of our memories. Okay, it was so long ago. But it's there. There was a certain point in time we repented. There's a certain point in time that we said we fell on our knees. We have nothing without you, God. There was a certain point in time that we, all of our life, we don't care about anything else. We need you, God. We can't fix our lives on our own. I'm lost without you. There was a certain point in time. My question was, when was the last time? Because unless you repent, not my words. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Because the kingdom of God begins with repenting. These people, the Jewish people, thought we're good because of our heritage. We're good because of our pedigree. We're children of Abraham. We're good because we offer sacrifices. We're good because we know the law. We're good because we memorize the verses. We're good, we're good, we're good. And Jesus' message to them over and over, like one thing, he wanted to like headbutt them over and over and over with one message over and over and over, is that God has no favorites. God has no favorites. God has no favorites. There's no such thing as y'all are great and the Gentiles are bad. All are God's children. And all likewise need to repent. And if there's no repentance, there's no kingdom. Because unless you repent, you will also all likewise this is a hard message for us. And I'm saying the first one, me. Because I am a, we as a society, but I admit I'm even worse probably, we're self-reliance. You know self-reliance? Okay, self-reliance is pick ourselves up by our bootstraps. We fell, but we will fix it, and we will get, okay, so something. And I'm, I'm the expert. I fall into something, and I sit down, I come up with a 10-step plan, okay? Okay, how am I going to solve it? And they all begin with the letter C or something like that, so I can remember it very easily. And I post little verses over here, and I got a plan, and it's a perfect plan. And in the end, without repentance, that's manure. Put all the manure on it. And some of us, if we're honest, every year we see that dead tree, another scoop of manure on there. What Jesus is saying, step one, just step one, is repentance. Because I give life to the dead. 
You can't do that. Your works can't do that. When was the last time you repented? Really repented, not just confessed. When was the last time you say we have this prayer in the Orthodox tradition called the Jesus Prayer? That Lord Jesus Christ have mercy on me, a sinner. When was the last time, when was the last time you didn't just look at it and say, I sinned? You look at it and said, I'm a sinner in true need of repentance. If you haven't done that in a while, then I got good news for you. Now's the perfect time to do it. As we are approaching the time of salvation, as we approach the end of Lent and Holy Week, now is the time. Now is the time where I always say is that Holy Week, what it is, is the doctor puts on the sign, okay, the door says, doctor is in, okay, and the, all, come one, come all. The whole surgeries are taking place. All kinds of healings is taking place during Holy Week, so now is the time. Now is the time. When was the last time you repented? Step one, that's step one of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is found in repenting, not in our best efforts. But that's not the only step. I'm going to give you a, the, the, the parable really focused on repentance, but I'm going to give you a bonus step because y'all are such good people that doesn't come necessarily from this parable, but it comes from that passage I showed you earlier from John 15, which was very similar, which it says that every tree, every branch that does not bear fruit, he cuts it down. Okay, we're going to go back to that passage. And after it says every branch that does not bear fruit, he cuts it down. Let's see what he says after that, because that gives us the second step, the second half of what it means to live in the kingdom and to find fruit. John chapter 15, verse 4. It says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Clearly, what's the theme? Abide. Keeps going. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Again, he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. We're trying to get fruit. Abides in me, I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. Same imagery as we learned before. No fruit, get rid of them if they don't abide. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you by this. My Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Again, that last sentence, my Father wants you to bear fruit. My Father wants you to be full of joy. My Father wants you to be never empty. My Father wants you to be never hungry. My Father wants to fill. My Father, my Father, my Father, my Father doesn't want you to be barren, doesn't want you to be dry. But the way to get there is number one, repent. And then number two is abide. What does abide mean? Here's going to be our working definition of what it means to abide. Abide means I will rely on God and I will do it His way. I will rely on God and I will do it his way. Not my way, his way. My way isn't working. My way is the manure way. So my way has gotten me all this way thus far and I don't want to be here anymore. So first thing, I'm repenting. I'm saying my way doesn't work. I need your help. I got nothing. And that's good. That's step one. But then let's not stop right there. Because if all we do is repent of our old ways and then go back to our old ways and then repent of those old ways and then we go back to our old ways, then all we do is we find ourselves in the same cycle. Like, let's be honest, that's where a lot of us find ourselves. It's the same cycle over and over and over and over. Well, what we need to do is we need to go away from our ways and to say, God, I'm going to rely on you and I'm going to trust you and do it your way. Practically, what does that mean? I'll give you some examples. Maybe that means for you fasting. Maybe some of us, because we're very smart, 
We're very wise, too wise for our own good. We say to ourselves, what's the point of fasting? I don't see the benefit. What difference does it make if there's cheese in this bean burrito or not? What difference does it make if I eat a veggie burger or a hamburger? And it's not logical. And what's the difference? And who cares? Okay, you're very smart. You do it your own way. But what I'm saying to you is maybe it's time to shut our mouths, to shut our minds, to stop justifying, to stop rationalizing, stop making excuses, and simply to do it God's way. Don't think about why. Don't, just because you don't understand it doesn't mean there's no way. For thousands of years, the church has said, this is the way we fast, and this is why we do it, and this is when we do it, and instead of doing it my way and wondering why my way isn't working, I'm going to abide in God. He said fast, I'm going to say yes. Why? I don't know. Why? What's the best? I don't know, but I'm just going to abide. How about prayer and quiet time? Ask someone about prayer and quiet time. Oh, but it's busy, and I don't know if I have time, and I have to wake up early, whatever it may be. So I do my quiet time, you know, uh, in the car ride on the way over. Okay, you do a car ride on the way over. I do my quiet time in the shower. Uh, what you know, what does quiet time in the shower mean? I don't, I don't understand what that means. Okay, sit down, wake up five minutes earlier, set your alarm, get up five minutes earlier, 10 minutes earlier, sit down with your Bible and read the Bible. Stand up and say your prayer. Like, stop making excuses as to, well, what's the benefit? I prayed yesterday and there's no difference than today. Stand up. Stop making excuses. I will abide in God. I will rely on him. And I'll do it his way, even if I don't understand his way. Can I keep going? This is, this is very therapeutic here as a priest, okay? <laughs> List goes on. Get help for your addiction. Some of us need to get help for our addiction. Some of us need to stop justifying it. Some of us need to stop making excuses. And we need to say, you know what? I tried and I failed. I've tried and I failed. I need to get help. I need to get a filter for my computer. I need to get an accountability partner. I need to get someone to talk to to solve my situation that I'm in. Other of us, some of us need, I will rely on God and do it his way. Pick up the phone and say, I'm sorry. Enough. Pick up the phone and say, I'm sorry. Stop justifying it. Stop trying to convince yourself. Stop trying to find one verse from the book of Deuteronomy that justifies why you're angry at this person who broke this law and that's why. Stop. Pick up the phone and say, I'm sorry. Or better, some of us, accept the apology. Stop punishing the other person. You know when you do that. When the other person's sorry, and you're going to accept their apology, but you're going to let them suffer for a little bit. You just want them to feel a little bit. Okay, so I'm gonna, I know I'm going to accept it in the end because it's the right thing, but... Leave them for a little bit. <clears throat> I will abide in God. I rely on him to do it his way. Some of us, his way, stop talking to that girl. Stop talking to that guy at work. Stop it. It's not right. You know it's gotten past the point of friendship. You know you're in dangerous territory. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. It's become flirtatious. Stop it. It's not good for you. It's not good for them. Stop it. You know it. You can justify it. And I'm sure your husband has it coming, or your wife deserves whatever. But stop it. You know it ain't right. Put it down. And on that same token, if I can speak from my heart, fight for your marriage. The exact opposite message the world is telling you today, I'm telling you fight for your marriage. Because God brought you together. It wasn't, it wasn't we were married too young, and I didn't know what, getting not, stop reading blogs about marriage. Read the word of God about marriage, please. Please. Stop listening to dumb people. And start reading the word of God and doing it his way. That's the only way to bear fruit. We want to bear fruit. Why is my life is not working out? And why is not fruit? And why is not joy? Because simple. If there's no repentance and if there's no abiding, there will never be fruit. Everything else is manure.
Everything else can be justified. No, 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 the manure this time will work. It's powerful manure. No, this time it's cow dung. Okay, before it was, you know, uh, chicken dung or whatever it may be. This is the good kind. This is organic. <laughs> Say it another way. Make it succinct. We need to stop praying this prayer. God bless my way. Stop this prayer. Never pray this prayer again. Pray this prayer. God, what way do you want to bless? See the difference? God, bless my way. That's what we've been doing our whole lives. I'm going this way, bless it. I'm going this direction, I'm going to be selfish. I'm not going to be generous with my money. I'm not going to give. I don't care about any of those things about tithing or generosity. I'm going to be selfish, bless my finances. I'm going to walk in these relationships. I'm going to do the wrong thing in my marriage. Bless my marriage. No, 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 no. Or singleness. I'm going to do the wrong thing in singleness, but then God, bless my search for the right spouse. No, no, no. No, no, we never pray in this prayer again. We don't say, God, bless my way. We say, God, show me the way that you want to bless. Show me the way that you want to bless. Do you want to bless this direction or this direction? Because if it's this direction, that's, that's going to be my way. But if it's this direction, I'm going to go that way. Do you see the difference? I don't go to God with, this is what I'm doing. Bless it. I say, God, you are God. You show me. You want to bless this direction? You want to bless this direction? Do it his way. And leave the results to him and see what he does. Do it his way. Abide in him. Let him make the decisions. And then the results are on him. Then when you do that, you say, God... I'm not worrying about the results. It's on you. It's your tree. I followed your way. It's on you. It's your responsibility. And see what God does. That's the parable of the barren fig tree. That the kingdom of God is not in our best efforts. Those are manure at best. The kingdom of God is number one in repenting. When was the last time you repented? When was the last time you really repented? When was the last time you fell on your knees and you let go? When was the last time you repented? Repent for the kingdom is at hand is the thing that the message Jesus preached everywhere. Repent for the kingdom is at hand. And then number two, repentant, I'm sorry, the kingdom is found in abiding and trusting his way, not my own. Wouldn't it be great if we had a reminder of these two steps of repenting and abiding, of letting go and then relying and trusting in him for everything? Wouldn't it be great if we had like, let's say, I don't know, a weekly reminder of these two? See the church in her wisdom? You have a weekly reminder of each step. Every Saturday night, we have hours for confession. And confession is the reminder to repent. And the order is important. We don't confess. Sometimes people say, can I confess after Sunday? And like, okay, you're far away. Okay, like, I, do, I don't like confession after Sunday, to be honest, because you're supposed to confess before, not after. Like, confession is to get to communion, not, and, but anyway, I'm not, some people do that, so it's not a big deal. Okay, don't, don't feel bad about that, okay? But every Saturday, we have a reminder. The church says, you need to repent. Because unless you repent, you all likewise perish. And you say, well, I don't need to repent. I'm doing good. Look at all the manure I got right here. Look at here. I'm doing great. That was the people there. And they said, no. Unless you repent, you will likewise perish. So I'm telling you, when was the last time you repented? You got three chances. You got three Saturdays left to Holy Week. Three Saturdays. Maybe now is the right time. I don't ever like to tell people to pull out their phones while I'm talking, but maybe now's the right time to put something in your calendar. 
I'm telling you when it's going to be the next three Saturdays we got, it's every Saturday night. So maybe now is the right time for you to go home or you can do it now, but after is better. Okay. But maybe now is the right time to put in your calendar and say, you know what? Saturday, March, I don't know what it is. 25th. I got a confession appointment at 7:30. Put it in your calendar. I'm telling you, we'll be here. Put it in your calendar. Or you say, I can't that like, I can't then, okay, well, then I'm gonna do it on April 1st. I can't, I'm gonna do it. Like, put it in your calendar. Maybe now is the right time. Maybe now is the message. Now is the reminder that God is telling us that the kingdom of God begins with repenting. Stop waiting to feel the need to repent. Repent. Just like nobody waits till they feel the need to go to the dentist. I'm feeling a little, yeah, I should go to the dentist. Nobody does that. What do you do? You say, I need to go every six months because that's the way life works is that teeth decay. So if I don't go every six months, I'm in a bad situation. And if I wait until I feel the need, it's way too late. It's way too late. Like if you only go to the dentist when you feel like you need it, you've probably been needing it for some time and the people around you've been very concerned about your need. Be smart with the same way with your soul. Like don't care more about your teeth than your soul. Don't care more about your teeth than your soul. You know you need to confess. You know you need to repent. Repent, for the kingdom is at hand. And then second, every Sunday, Sunday is all aimed at one thing. Sunday is not about fellowship together. That's nice. That's great to have, but that's not the primary goal. It's not about see our friends. Okay, that's great. It's not about hear uh, a funny joke from me. That's it, not what it is. Sundays are one thing. The center of Sunday is one thing, is abiding in Christ and Christ abiding in me. That's the centerpiece. Everything else falls from there. All the other stuff is good, but that's the centerpiece. That every Sunday, when we repent Saturday, we come Sunday ready to abide and say, God, not my way, but your way. Don't, don't, don't bless my way. I hate my way. Never bless my way. But God, show me the way that you want to bless. And we open our mouths wide. We receive Christ inside of us. And we know that when we repent and then he abides in us and we abide in him, that's where the fruitfulness comes from. Finish up here with the verse that I showed you earlier. But maybe this is a good memory verse for you. Okay, it's very easy to remember and it's a beautiful message. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit for without me you can do nothing. Without me you can do nothing. Without me your best efforts are manure at best. But with me, with repentance, with abiding, you can be fruitful. You can bear much fruit. All those verses that I told you about life and never thirsting and never hungering, that comes when we repent and we abide. Repent and we abide. And my prayer for you and for me, especially as we approach the end of Lent, like I said, there's only a couple weeks left, only three weeks left in this Lent thing before we hit Holy Week. And I don't want anybody to show up at Holy Week trying to get God to bless their own way. Oh, we're not going to show up with our own little funny little fig trees and a pile of manure. We're, we're going to show up with people who has repented and people who said, not my way, Lord, not my way, but your way. And then I promise you, when we do that, then it's on him. The results are on him. We're going to do it his way and we're going to leave the results to him and we'll see what he does. Let's stand together for a prayer. We hope today's message inspires you in your faith journey. And at the end of this episode, we invite you to take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel.